Good evening, citizens. My name is Ban Shatterson, captain of the Bloody Hands Mercenary Company. But once again, Ban is asleep, and hello, today you've got me, Chris, your wonderful host. And I've got another special guest that will hopefully entertain you this evening. And that is Senator Rizart Dancewalker, or otherwise known as Dave. Uh, Dave, say hello. Uh, good evening, citizens. Um, pleasure to be uh, interviewed by you, Chris. You know, it's a, a really, really great um, podcast you run, and I must admit that the stories of Ban Strata song, I think, have taken on a legend and a life of their own across the, across much of the field. If flattery was a crime, I'd hit you with a one throne fee for that. But thank you. <laughs> oh, brilliant! I, I paid clemency. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's prosperity, please. <laughs> of course, of course. Fantastic. So today, on my little. A uh, little sheet of paper. I've got a few bullet points that I want to talk to you about. And for those of you who don't know, uh, as, a, as a brief summary, Dave or Dave's character, Rizart, is a senator. You're a senator for Hykinia, right? Yep, Hykinia. Now, uh, what is the correct way to say that? Wasn't that cleared up relatively recently? It's... Yeah, so the, the, the official rules is you can pronounce it however you pretty much like, because um, much like there is in the UK, you get regional variations of how someone might pronounce uh, a city name. Castle. Exactly. So, uh, and I personally, I think that adds to the richness of the game. But um, certainly, a lot of people have felt in the past that you know there was a particular phonetic way you spelt it out. So, hence, Herkinia or Herkinia, uh, and there are kind of a few people who will continue to kind of use that as their preferred terminology. There is also Hersinia with a soft K. Uh, I think there's a few people who do. Um, you know, the yar is much more pronounced. So, there's kind of different ways of spelling it. Personally, I really like that in the game because it adds different variation depending on where your characters are from. Nice. So it's a kind of like gap yard with a sin yard. Yeah, exactly. So like, uh, you know, if you're if you're a marcher from let's say Bregersland, right, you've pretty much spent most of your time on very like local affairs. So do you really care about the pronunciation of a territory far away in a different nation? No. So you're going to pronounce it very differently when you do because it's quite a foreign sounding term to you. You know, you don't really have that much exposure. I mean, yeah, everyone goes through the academy, but yeah, let's be honest. The academy, although it's below the abstractional area in Empire, the academy is is likely to be very different depending on where you go through it, and also your normal life. You know, you pick up an accent from where you are. So, you know, being marchers, obviously, you have a lot of um, <laughs> a march west march. country accents. And, yeah. Exactly, west country accents and that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, your accents are meant to be a thing in Empire, and dialect is a you know changes depending on where you are. Gotcha. Yeah, I think from what I've seen of the academy on from my time on the field is it's mainly kids assaulting adults. Not much time for uh, phonetics. Yeah, the uh, the the uh, children of the academy on the field are probably the empire's most terrifying weapon in the future. Uh, they have they have zero fear, uh, extremely high propensity to uh, hit you in somewhere you'd rather not be hit. Normally in this sort of you know groinal area, uh, and are completely willing to just charge at a moment's notice. There'll be zero warning. It doesn't matter if you're a non-com, com, if you have chocolate, don't have chocolate. If you're an enemy or a good guy, you may get swarmed. There we go. It's a good, it's a good guy, but partial pause for concern there. But uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So the, I guess, sorry, yeah, long answer to Senator for High Kinia. Mm. You've also got some really interesting character backstory that will so I'll touch on a bit later of actually going from Navarre to Urizen back to Navarre. There's some really cool roleplay behind that. Um, potentially a little bit on crime 
be uh, very interested to uh, hear your thoughts on that, especially being a, a more veteran player than myself. Um, maybe some of your character concepts as well, sort of based around loyalty, uh, from what we talked about. Uh, and what I'm really interested to hear about is the Iron Raptors and the great work that you've built as well. Anything yeah, else you wanted to include? Uh, I could certainly talk about politics in the Senate. You know, if anybody really wants to hear about you know the ins and outs of, of you know what it actually means to walk walk the Senate floor, um, and actually kind of what's the the fun game behind it, rather than just the kind of the procedural side of it. I mean, some people get really excited about the procedural side. Uh, that personally is not really my game, but um, the background behind it and the kind of the stuff you do in the margins and, and really kind of how you actually make motions work, I think is for me is one of the most fascinating parts of the game. Gotcha. Fantastic. So um, I, I guess, yeah, let's, let's start. Should we start there then? So senatorship, what it's like to be elected, what the, the duties are like and what your, your RP, RP experience of that um, is as well. Sure. Okay. Um, so for those of you who, who are listening who don't who don't know, um, you know, Sanus is one of the sort of so-called big big hats of the game. You, know, you get the kind of archmages, you get the cardinals, you get the generals, and you get the senators. Um, there are obviously other great ones as well, which in some cases are even more powerful. Um, ambassadorship, for example, you're meeting foreign delegations, board seat holders. You know, you actually have run the economy of the empire. Uh, and, and have access to ridiculous quantities of resources in, in some cases. Um, and indeed, there are all sorts of interesting roles that not many people would, would look to, like things like um, uh, the Office for Senatorial, Senator Accountability. They have a crazy amount of power to inquisit someone randomly from the Senate every season. Uh, the Master of the Mint is responsible for kind of running the finances of the Senate and the Empire. You know, They, they also have a huge amount of... Um, power behind the scenes i guess um within within uh the empire but in terms of the senate um yeah so senate's pretty simple uh for any nation you had normally have one senator per region uh, one territory per territory um the territory has to be entirely owned by the empire so there are many territories which don't have senators um but normally would so in the vars case we have two uh, Brascaliand, which obviously is completely controlled by the Valorn, so it has never had a senator in Navarre's entire history since Navarre was created. Um, and then the other one is Liathavan, which we can't hold because it's right up on the western border with the Jotun and is constantly being invaded, and indeed has a Valorn heart as well. Um, but in theory, if we conquered all of Liathavan, we could have a senator for Liathavan, uh, as indeed we now have a senator for Osium, which is a Varushkin territory mm. um, over on the east with the Druze. So yeah, every every normally every imperial nation, every imperial nation territory can elect a senator, and the process for electing a senator differs from nation to nation. And these are features, not bugs. This is something that's really important to mention. Certain Dawn, for example, is based on only earls can vote. So if you want to be a senator in Dawn, you're going to need to get the earls on side, and there are different ways you could do that, but. Basically, the average yo folk, the average knight in Dawn is irrelevant to the voting process. I hate to say that, but that's true. In practice, it isn't that way, because if you're a yo person and you have a huge following and you're very popular, you could probably sway votes, potentially. Or indeed, if you're in um, in the League, yeah, sorry, in Brass Coast even, it's entirely how much money you can bring to the table. It's very much a mercantile type process. So again, there are different ways of getting elected in different nations and that, that is very much a feature not a bug and i think it's one of the coolest things pd have done within the empire setting uh but anyway to wrap that up in navarre 
we have probably the most easy to understand from an OC perspective how we elect people. Um, it's basically you stand behind your preferred candidate. So in Hakinia, you will literally, when the election comes up, it's uh, E1 every year, the winter solstice. Uh, the candidates for senator will stand up after what we have our big kind of national meeting called standing. Uh, and then what will happen is each of the candidates will then give a short couple of speeches and why they should be elected. They'll answer a few questions from the crowd. And then very simply, you will line up behind your preferred candidate and a civil servant will count off the number of people standing behind you. And that way you will then elect him. Gotcha. And from so from just briefly jumping into like some of the like sub roles as well, um, whether they're official or not, I'm actually not sure. But as a general, you can have an adjutant. Is that the same with being a senator? Yeah, totally. So um, senators have proxies. Uh, and proxies are uh, one of the most, if not the most important part of being a senator. Um, I would say on par with, with the other bit I'll come on to in a second, which is really about lobbying and influence. But a good proxy will make or break your game, in my opinion. Um, some people will tend to view their proxies as basically uh, subordinates or they will view them as potential competition for future elections. Now, both of those are technically true, but you're also an idiot if you do that because <laughs> proxies are incredible, right? Proxies enable you, if you're in a title, doesn't matter if you're general or senator or indeed anything else, to be in two places at once, to really understand more about what's going on, to relay messages, to draft motions, to stand for you, in the Senate's case, on the Senate floor if you need to be somewhere else. Uh, they can effectively do anything, and they are effectively acting on your authority. Now, the relationship between proxy and senator is, is um, varies, depending on kind of obviously the characters and the, the uh, OC characteristics of the people who play them. But in my personal opinion, proxies are probably the most fundamental points of being a senator. If you don't have one, you are going to find it incredibly difficult because... Senators tend to be extremely time compressed. That's not to say they're busy because it's a voluntary choice that they're busy. But if you have someone like a proxy who literally will just walk up to you and give you a pint of beer or whatever, that's fantastic, or a glass of water or a sandwich or something, it keeps you going. Hmm. But equally then, the onus is on you, and this is something I'll come on to on leadership, but the onus is on you as the senator or indeed the general or anybody else you are there they are not there as your subordinate or your servant or anything else they are there as your ally an ally requires you know this is quid pro quo so i really love getting my proxies to do stuff and quite often you know i'll make sure that if i get a drink they're getting a drink you know if i'm getting food they're getting food because it's so easy to get wrapped up in the game and run away with stuff but actually supporting someone who wants to do what you do they have a different take on it they will see things differently they will understand things differently um, and yeah, you sometimes have really cool IC arguments um, with your proxies, but empowering your proxies is one of the most, if not the most important um, role, in my opinion, of being of being a senator. If you do it well, they will change your entire game and make it really fun and allow you to do lots of extra stuff. If you do it badly, it becomes a nightmare, or if you haven't got one, it just becomes incredibly difficult to do stuff. Gotcha, fantastic. And have you ever... So you've been re-elected senator for Hakinia um, last summit. Have you only held it for one year beforehand, or have you been a senator for longer than just a year? Uh, so this is my third year coming into now oh, wow. um, in, in game, so I've actually been senator for, for two years previously. Um, 
uh, it's yeah, it's certainly a learning process. Um, the first, I think, the first year, well, first two events, is just a car crash because you have no idea what you're doing. And, <laughs> uh, again, this is where proxies really come into. It. I'm not saying that you have to be a proxy or you have to be an adjutant to become general or senator. You definitely don't. But it makes it a damn sight easier if you understand the mechanics of what a senator or a general does. And I'll come on to that in a second. But um, yeah, basically, you really need to make sure that you've got people around you who understand the process of what you're going through. Because otherwise, the first, if you're brand new to the whole system, you don't know what you're doing, you're really going to struggle to be able to actually uh, do anything. So in my first summit as senator, I had no idea what I was doing procedurally. I very nearly didn't use my motion. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing voting-wise in terms of I've been to the Senate a few times, but um, I didn't really know like how the background of it worked, so it was just a bit of a mess. When you say a bit of a mess, um, elaborate. <laughs> so, uh, I guess for me the most interesting part of the Senate game is, is the quiet conversations that you have in the margins, right? Like, so... My general rule of senatoring is that you don't want to be coming to the Senate floor not having any idea what you're going to do with your Senate motion. So that's the first one. Secondly, you need to be, if you want to do something, the more complicated or the more controversial it is, the more backing you'll probably need to get it. And you'll figure out very rapidly that there are certain uh, leads in Senate who will have very strong views on certain things. And the Senate will often sway depending on certain people uh, who are often very charismatic or they have a particularly well-known position on something. Um, so, yeah, for example, in the VAR, traditionally we had kind of, uh, Sibby, um, was very kind of liberal-minded. He's the previous senator for Thrunen, it's now Travid. Uh, he was very liberal-minded and was very much kind of in favor of doing things that supported the average people of the empire. Um, Llewellyn, who was our sort of senator for, um, Miaran, he's very much about economics and finances and he's brilliant at it. And then, and then Riz is very much someone who is very much kind of a thorn archetype. So he's a thorn first, last, always, and in, in, in kind of character design. So he would always back anything that's military. Gotcha. And that meant that, you know, you get to know the military kind of aligned senators in the Senate game. But if you wanted to do something really interesting or controversial in the game, you need to make sure that those are the people who are likely to vote with you on the military aspects are bought in on it. So a lot of the Senate game is actually about conversation long conversations with people, figuring out which way they might vote on a given subject, you know, asking for favors from them in terms of will they second your motion or will they back you up, basically. That's that's the real game of Senate. It's not about the paperwork. The paperwork is, is kind of the the signing of the, you know, you're putting a seal on the wax, right? It's that's the art. It's important because obviously you can't send the letter, but it's actually the writing of the letter that matters. Gotcha. And so when you say that you know you want to know which way people vote um i know you commissioned a great work in your previous tenure uh is is that something that other senators support you on or does that have a different set of uh, mechanics behind it yeah so procedurally uh very briefly because this is pretty much anything you can read on the wiki um you get one motion every summit uh every senator gets one motion only um and you can propose a motion and you have one second so Every motion requires a second to get through Senate and to be accepted by the civil service to go forward for a Senate session. Um, it's it's pretty it can be pretty heated because who you get on your who you get your second can be essential to get, actually get the Senate to vote for something. Um, 
And again, there are power blocks in the Senate, just as there is in any other political system, OC. Um, but yeah, so you have certain timings. You have to normally give your Senate motions in three hours before a Senate session, uh, which obviously means it's extremely tight on a Friday. You have to give your Senate motion in by 8 p.m. Uh, for the 10 o'clock session. Two hours, sorry, two hours ahead of the Senate session. Yeah, have to give it in by 8 p.m. On, on Friday, and then depending on which session it is on a Saturday, again, two hours before that, that Senate session. Um, but you only get one, and a lot of people forget that, is that senators only get one of these and one second per event. So these are pretty valuable. It's the same as in general giving their army orders. And some more enterprising uh, citizens of the Empire have figured out you can monetize a Senate motion. So if you're a very good orator or you're charismatic, you could probably sell it for a fair number of thrones, depending on what it is you want to do with it. Interesting. Okay. And the great work that you completed, um, do you mind telling me a bit more about that? Was that like difficult to get through? Or was it something you had to do lots of arm bending for? Or was it something that um, maybe as a more as a lay example, if you have something that's just a win-win-win all round, do you find that getting seconds is pretty easy? Yeah, totally. So um, you basically get uh there's a limited number of things you can you can do but um a senate motion allows you to I'm trying to know what they all are now so you're only there's a whole load of stuff you can read on the wiki because it has to be a single issue requires a majority vote um you have to make sure that you're funding it and funding is a key point i'll come on to in a second and then you have a whole load of um stuff you can do but basically the senate has some pretty interesting powers so you can appraise stuff to figure out what you can do with it so appraisals does you only get one for the whole empire per summit so those are really heavily contested um you can build stuff which is this great work i'll comment in a second you can abrogate stuff so you can change how it's awarded or how it's functioning or you know destroy it effectively you can um elect people for various positions uh like ambassadors for example uh, and you indeed can put motions forward for things like voting for the throne and indeed declarations of war. Only the Senate can legally declare war, not the military council, and that's quite an interesting uh, conflict point on the field. But broadly, if you are proposing something that's a complete no-brainer, it's really sensible, people will back it, it provides a benefit to the empire, most of the time senators will vote for it immediately. Particularly if there's sorry, say spicier motions coming up that are likely to be contested, often people go, look, can we just move to a vote immediately? Is this, so, is this easy? Is he doing it for virtuous reasons? Is it self-funded? Now, self-funded is the key thing here. The Senate, each summit, will only have a finite amount of money, and a lot of people think it's infinite. It's not. It's based on the previous summit's boss takings. So if anyone's particularly criminally minded and wants to rub the boss, bear in mind you are literally robbing the empire of its cash the following season. And what the Senate gets is the is effectively the remainder of the Senate's income minus the upkeep of all the armies, great works, sinecures, etc. that need upkeep. So there is actually quite a lot of math that sits behind the Empire's accounts. Uh, if you want to know more, definitely go talk to Amy. She's brilliant. She plays the Master of the Mint. She dokes all of the stuff about the financial side. Uh, and she's a fantastic character in in game as well. Although me and her have quite a lot of uh, quite quite heated arguments on stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, broadly, if you come in, you've got a motion. You want to build, I don't know, a giant statue of Ban the Magnificent, completely naked. If it's self-funded and it's <laughs> virtuous, 
Exactly. People will vote for it. If, however, you come in and go, I want to build an army, a great work, Seren, the city in Navarre that we're thinking about building, and you want money from the Senate, the Senate will immediately go, why should we give you cash? And therefore, you have to very, have a very good reason. Again, if you've done your homework and you've kind of spoken to senators beforehand and have gone, look, we really need this for the following reasons and you've got people on side, it's much easier and you will probably get it passed. But you will never get the full amount of money you want. So building an army, for example, uh, Riz built, uh, you know, put forward the motion, has been doing a lot of kind of cash for the new Navarre army that completes in the summer. Um, and that requires a lot of lobbying to a, get the cash out of the Senate, but also you don't get the whole lot in one go. You can, you will get a percentage. So let's say an army costs you, I don't know, off the top of my head, 800 thrones. The Senate will go, well, actually, you need to show your own prosperity here. You're going to need to fund at least yeah, 30 40%. Now, some senators are better at it than others, and some of them will get more and some of them will get less. But for the great work, uh, most great works will require substantial amounts of money from the Senate. We're talking hundreds of thrones here to buy the wanes of the mithril, the white granite, and, and weirwood that you need to build stuff. And so that's done sort of outside of play. Uh, sort of, you know, you bring forward that cash, and in theory, it's given to the civil service, and they buy that in between seasons. Or is that something nope. that you also need to go and buy in play? 100% you've got to buy and play. Oh, damn. So again, you start to realize that having a proxy on this, you know, if you've got a really good proxy, they can go and actually go, yep, you know, we've already lined up some sellers, you know, we're trying to build a great work, you need white granite for this. You know, white granite, I've been able to bulk, you know, I can get bulk by it in, let's say, five wanes per or whatever it is you're talking about in a given season. Um, that means you, as a senator, can go on the Senate floor and say, I have identified some sellers already. I can get this material at this amount. You know, I'm already, I'm able to do this. And a lot of senators will will really dig into this because it showcases whether or not someone is actually competent to build something, or you're just giving them a 200 throne, you know, set of cash, and then they've got to do all this themselves. The pressure really gets onto you when there are time limited opportunities because in some cases you have maybe that event to write the motion, get the motion agreed in the Senate, to get the funding from the Senate, to buy the wanes, to submit them back into PD at the end of the event. And if you don't do that, the motion, the entire event, the entire opportunity is lost. Gotcha. Uh, and so what are the consequences of losing those opportunities? Has that happened recently? Or is it severe? Or is it nothing beyond the thing doesn't happen? Um, I'm trying to remember some ones on the top of my head. So for example, if you're building, there's been a couple of ones, I think, with one of the foreign nations in terms of building temples and you know they were saying like you know we need to build this temple within this time period otherwise you know there's going to be diplomatic issues as a result that has definitely happened where we just haven't built something quick enough or you know we laid the groundwork for it and never got finished um that's probably the most pertinent example i can give you but there's certainly some examples where we haven't been able to complete something and therefore if a motion isn't completed over the time frame, which is normally a year for a normal motion, or however long the opportunity is, it lapses, which means however many resources you put into it are lost. Oh, okay. So if you fail something, you've lost that resource, you've lost that time, you've lost your slot. Um, yeah, exactly. Would there be anything beyond that? So as a as a potential example, let's say I'm raising an army. Um, you know, I'm pulling a lot of troopers from their civilian roles and enlisting them. If that army then fails to fully muster and you know those troops are sent home, is there, for example, would there be a, a one-rank penalty to all resources across the territory 
representing those workers that have been pulled out of circulation and then the lost production as a result, uh, for example. No, I don't think so. Not with the armies. Um, but it might be the case that if you don't complete the army, um, let's say you're building, you're trying to muster the army in a particular location and that territory gets conquered by your enemy, that makes things extremely difficult. Uh, you know, the, maybe you've got an opportunity from uh, an Eternal. So one of the options we had for building the new Navarre army was a offer from Arhalagan. Um, and that would, again, we would have had to complete that within a time limit. Otherwise, the benefit from that Eternal would have lapsed, which means we would not get the benefit. We'd have put a load of money into an army that would have required even more funding, um, and potentially it would have been lost. So, yeah, there's certainly a pressure. If you want to build stuff, you actually need to commit to it and then actually be able to deliver on it within that time frame. Gotcha. All right, fascinating. And what was the great work that you worked on uh, specifically? So that was a success that's been built. Yeah, so uh, I built um, a great work in, or Riz, I should say, built a great work in Herginia. Um, it's an old ranging. Um, it is uh, Lafidrian, uh, the, the Blade of Thorn. Uh, there's a lot of kind of thorn terminology in Navarre because obviously it's a big archetype. Um, it's basically, a, I really wanted to kind of delve into some of the more Celtic aspiration or inspiration, I should say, for, for Navarre. Navarre aren't Celts, but they draw heavily from um, Celtic and, uh, you know, Romano sort of British type inspirations yeah. and so on. And I really like that. Um, and so I really wanted to kind of reflect some of that with the great work. So it's a great work that's really just, a, you know, in, in game is a, a rolling banks of heathers, of heather even with um, sort of past that meander through the sort of gradual um, banks of heather with various kind of men here dotted around or dolomites, um, which are inscribed with the names of those who have fallen in imperial service. Um, and that was very much kind of a, reflect, a way of how I personally felt that Navarre would probably reflect those who aren't necessarily Navarre, because obviously we have corpse glades, um, but wanted to remember the, you know, the testimony of those who had died fighting for the empire and did for Navarre interests. So there are a couple of like key names for for Riz inscribed on there. Uh, you can, if you're so inclined, you know, look it up on on the Akinia page on on the wiki, and you can kind of read more about it. But it was really really fun to build it, and um, a great testimony to uh, the kind of a the kind of really cool inspiration of VAR, but also it's a phenomenal game. Went into kind of getting the funding for it, getting the resources uh, for it, and uh, crucially, a great um, sort of great icy friend of Riz's. Uh, he was a sort of key benefactor in supporting it, um, which is named after. So Achilles of uh, Damocles Forge is one of the sort of key names on the um, great work, which is why he's being put forward for exemplarhood. Um, he was later murdered by Navarre. Oh, a Navari, not the Navarre, right? Uh, yes, a a Navari. Yeah, yes. good, just checking my yeah, checking my history of that. Hey, what? <laughs> okay, brilliant. Um, and is that like a mechanical effect to those kind of great works as well? Yeah, there really is, and that's that's the really cool thing about great works. So a, you kind of uh, they look great in the background, but um, and they're kind of things that you probably want to build for, um, you know, if you want to be an exemplar, etc. That kind of stuff. You know, this is building something that stands the test of time is considered, you know, is a great way of sort of meeting the sort of inspiration requirement if you've inspired others who come after you, as uh, also arguably your legacy. Um, but yeah, in terms of mechanically, uh, great works can do all sorts of cool stuff. Sadly, they can't buff uh, military units. That's the only one they can't do. But you can have, uh, for example, great works of dockyards, for example, will buff your fleet. 
you can have um, great Lao forests that will grow more Lao and give you more kind of priest, uh, more Lao, or indeed more more votes potentially. I'm not sure those are still around, but they certainly did exist previously where you could build syndicates or great works that would kind of give you more congregation um, to give you more votes in the in the synod. Uh, otherwise, this this one in Hakinia gives you more mana, so it attracts mana to these dolomites, and you know, in the background, the the mana grows on the sides of the dolomites. Um, so yeah, you can you can go there, and, and you know, if you are a citizen of Hakinia and you have a mana site, you get extra mana. It's ten. It works out as sometimes loads if there aren't many mana site owners in Hakinia, in which case you will get loads of mana, like potentially four or five extra on top of your personal resource. If, however, and I think at the moment everyone's kind of figured that out and has gone, oh, I need a mana sign in Hakinia, in which case you might only get one or two. Gotcha. Still but it's basically buff. a territory-wide buff. Fantastic. Nice. Um, I know she sits into chat too if I need some uh, need some mana. Um, <laughs> you had a you had a thinly veiled shot at me there, man, with the uh, if uh, someone was thinking of robbing the boss and uh, taking its money, and that would be literally robbing from the empire. I don't know who you think would possibly be up to that kind of challenge but you you mentioned sort of self-funding you've got to bring some coin as a senator uh to some of your some of your motions now i'm gonna, i'm going to assume that on one hand some of that is from sort of internal politicking and getting other wealthy citizens to back you i am also intrigued as to whether there's any other maybe less legal streams of income that you might have dabbled in and whether i can learn something from you <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Riz definitely has, has you know, the, the Lefty Drian, the, uh, the great work was entirely um, self-funded. Uh, there was no Senate money at all spent on it. Indeed, there was no funding from Navarre either, um, which is a key point I sort of like to bring up in, in the immune game. Um, <laughs> it was funded for kind of, through kind of four main ways. Um, Riz, when he first started out, was just a kind of random thorn, number seven from the left, you know, in, in, in Navarre. And over time, he kind of fell into doing a lot of mercenary work. Um, mercenary work uh, pays pretty well if you can kind of find the right people and know what you're doing. Uh, got involved in selling quite a lot of um, uh, bite, you know, that kind of stuff before it became illegal, I should add. Uh, various imperial artifacts um, got kind of traded at various points. Um, and then, yeah, there was definitely some, some highly illegal stuff of just outright robbing people, um, <laughs> which was particularly great fun to do, um, as indeed was, was shameless kind of corpse looting uh, and indeed um, targeted confidence scams. And confidence scams are a great one in the Empire because they're not a crime. So you can get away with as much as you want. So there's all sorts of um, interesting stuff that, that, that you know, Riz got up to in the, in the past where, you know, we shamelessly just used to effectively just kind of like, right, okay, you know, do you want to buy this map or whatever? Yeah, fine, great. You know, it gives you a map of X territory, fantastic. And then while the person's looking at it, you'd be like, cool, yeah, thanks, money, buy, and then you vanish. Um, and then the time to figure out where, you, you know, to come and get you, well, there's not much they can do about it. They can either spend more of their money on, on cursing you, or indeed they can just accept that you've defrauded them. Um, so, that, you know, simple, simple kind of frauds and kind of sleight of hand tricks are really easy. Uh, the other one was just shamelessly pickpocketing um, a couple of people uh, in in uh, going going through on a, a skirmish was quite an entertaining one. I've forgotten who it was. He was archmage and had like fifty mana in their in their uh, back pocket. That was quite entertaining. Uh, and then the big one was really influence. Um, influence is really the, the big one, which is really where you get to know people and you know, particularly if you want to get involved in the crime game. Um, 
you know, A, you need a really important point is to make sure that everyone is aware that you are doing this in-game only, so you're, you're actually being a nice person normally. Um, and a lot of people get really angry about the crime game because, you know, they feel very invested in the character, and obviously if you're getting looted, you're getting stuff stolen from you in-game, you're getting attacked, you're essentially getting murdered. Um, you know, people rightly feel very defensive of their characters. Um, but there is actually a lot of kind of... Huh? It's almost like they're being robbed. People don't like it. Yeah, ex exactly, yeah. exactly. So, you know, you really need to make sure if you're going to get involved in the crime game, um, you need to really check in with people after you've done it, um, really make sure people are okay. <clears throat> so a couple of occasions, I've definitely bought pints for people afterwards and been kind of like, look, you know, just make sure this is basically, like, I'm not doing this because I just like you as a person. This is purely just the game, you know, the, trying to make the game world more interesting. Um, yeah, definitely. Selling... That's, selling... That's uh, oh, God. sorry. Oh, thanks. It's the, uh, it's, it's something we, you know, me and my lot have run into as well is, uh, I'm sure you've heard about the famous ring robbery. You know, there's sort of 15 of us. We approached a lone citizen. We, we essentially said, look, mate, we're about to rob you. Uh, you know, obviously, are you okay with that? Or is this gonna, um, you know, is this too scary? Cause it was dark late at night. Just want to give them a warning of like, you're about to be surrounded. Little conversation. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Go for it. Go for it. And then obviously we go through the role play. And uh, like you said, we're buying them pints afterwards and stuff like that. We've had a few people where we've, um, I think it was literally a citizen looking for their father's sword on uh, the colloquially named Murder Alley. And we saw them at the hub later, obviously, when we returned return to Fizz Rep. And they said, guys, that was just so much fun. Oh my goodness, that was that was awesome. And we, I found that people engage with it really positively when you do it in that kind of respectful way. You know, you give them a little heads up. Or afterwards, you essentially go and say, "Hey, hope you're okay. Obviously, here's all your stuff back. You know, unlucky, <laughs> nothing personal. But uh, yeah, I can imagine a lot of people get uh, quite upset if it's, I even if it was especially targeted. If you, especially, especially, if there was some sort of ICOC bleed, if there's some bad blood out of game, and your character happens to rob theirs, bit of a shit plan. But we, you know, we find that treating it with a bit of respect, you usually get a positive response." And, um, yeah, totally. Yeah, and with the confidence scams, totally agree. I mean, you saw the shackles last event, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, I think it's not well known, but it's certainly a fact that you know the Imperial militia do not shackle citizens at Anvil, and uh, do not let them walk around asking for money. That was, you know, totally not legit. But uh, a lot of people bought it. It looks, uh, looks convincing. <laughs> Yeah, so you were saying you were saying about some of the uh, the influence side as well. Yeah, yeah. So I was just going to say, I mean, I think your your point there about the, the respect is key because ultimately these tokens, you know, these cards, whatever it is you have as personal resources, or indeed as a boss owner, right? They're irrelevant. They're not real, right? And and crucially, these are game tokens that allow you to have fun in the game and to do stuff in the game. So, in my experience, the more entertaining the crime is, you know, is it elaborate? Is it crazy? You know, does it make somebody the more the more likely they are to be like actually this is really fun because it's giving me game um whereas if you're just kind of nobody really just wants to get randomly you know murdered in a back alley or oh, whatever yeah. because what's the point right it's it's the end of the story and yeah. murder murder in the game is rightly hard for a reason right because a it's the ending of a story right and endings are always fairly boring instead of make it entertaining right there's an ongoing grudge there's loads of curses being thrown you know you're, you're using all the different political absolutely yep. you know levers in the game to utterly screw over someone else that's hilarious right and fantastic game 
And then at the end of it, you decide, you know, that's it. It's the final straw. You know, I'm going to have to kill this person or whatever it is. And then that does or doesn't work. You know, that in itself is an, end, it's an entertaining story. Whereas no one remembers from any fantasy book, you know, you read as a kid or even now, you know, random person number five who got murdered by that brigand in, in page six of the book, right? This is boring. So, uh, yeah, but I, I guess within crime, uh, as you yourself have found, Chris, you know, there is very much a fraternity. Yeah, there's a kind of a fraternity, to use the term, uh, you know, a cabal, cartel, or whatever you want to call it, on amongst these, exactly. So, A, you know, you generally find a quite a, um, a mature group of, I'm not going to say old, but, you know, certainly quite uh, mature people tend to do the crime game, in terms of who stay alive in the crime game. It's people who realize that, you know, there is that kind of OCIC um, bleed a little bit, and you do need to be respectful and making sure it's, it's entertaining for everybody. But secondly, um, you know, if you want to be good in the crime game, you actually have to get you have to get to know people, right? If you steal an item, for example, who are you going to fence it to, yeah. right? And the bigger the item and the more controversial it is, you've got to figure out quite quickly because people are going to come looking for you. So, you know, figuring out where you can sell stuff to brokers, no questions asked. You know, if you can if you can uh, rapidly move stuff quite easily, uh, and obviously the fun stuff is really the spicy stuff. So, for example, if you're trying to sell hallowed hate weapons. Uh, this is a hilarious one that you happen to get from the Morn world. You need to get those moving pretty quickly, uh, because otherwise, if you get incited and you have a weapon that is quite literally compelling you to purge the uh, foreign influence and become pure, then yeah, you need to do that pretty quickly. So um, yeah, you get to know people and, and figure out, okay, this person, let's say Ban, you know, I can talk to Ban, Ban knows the right person in Wintermark, I can then get this item to Wintermark, which means if I get caught by the militia, I have nothing on me that's incriminating. But secondly, I also know that this guy in Wintermark is going to give me a fair cut and not just keep it himself. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh... hey, yeah, you're preaching to the choir here. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's definitely, it does, it does make, you know, your point around the entertainment factor of it as well. Um, you know, to, you know, we as a as a as a criminal gang, bandits, we're not nothing professional. We we do not murder. That's a, an OC and IC rule, because like you said, it just it shits off it shits people up the wrong way. Nobody wants to go and try and sell cake, and then a character who you know might have been playing for like you know two or three events at this point, it might it might be a new player that they're, they're getting attached to that character, gets stabbed and left for dead, and you know ultimately dies. For just being in the wrong place at the wrong time that's boring it sucks and also on an oc level you know a bunch of people coming up to you with knives and taking your stuff is is scary in under the right circumstances uh you know we all know it's a game but at the same time it's all about rp and that rp when it's good can feel very very real um and again what is much more entertaining is going up stealing somebody's cake but then that character has, has lo lost a cake or something and you know, that is a that's a shame for them but now they've got someone to hate They've got an antagonist in their story. They've got someone to, you know, they might go off and sell the rest of their cakes and then pay the money to get a, you know, hire some thugs to go and look for that particular bandit. Or they might go to the militia and then it brings the militia into the game and they start searching for people. And the small actions you can take as a, as a bad person of Empire can have a huge ripple effect for the, the more positive leaning characters who want to hunt you out. Because if everyone's good, it's, it's kind of boring. And, yeah, um, silly, silly. And I, I think that's a really key point because um, a lot of people really don't like the crime game. They want to kind of remove it from the Empire. I think that would be a massive loss to the game. I think crime is... is You can't really have good characters without those who are morally grey or evil. So, you know, Riz, for example, is the same as Ban. 
you know, they very much play characters who are who are willing to do bad things for their own, you know, for whatever their necessary ends are. Yeah. So Veriz is very much kind of about, you know, he will do anything for Navar, pretty much, and and you know doesn't really view imperial law as that important compared to loyalty to, to nation and to you know his his um you know friends and family etc so i think that's a if you've got a narrative as to why you're doing crime that's that's exciting that's interesting you know there's, there's motivation as to why your character is doing a certain thing i think ones who just go like i'm just going to kill people because i need the money that is not a motivation similarly playing a serial killer in empire that would be incredibly boring because you're just randomly killing people for no reason. And it's really hard from the militia side to also catch people because it takes a long time to do it right. Yeah, they've got a whole lot of stuff like Whisper Through the Black Gate, yeah. but it also just takes a huge amount of time to, to, to actually follow up with a lot of the stuff. And there's a great game in it, but you have a bit of respect for the player on, on the militia side as well if you're playing a criminal element, right? And that's that's fun in itself because you know, it's certainly, certainly one of the best... Uh, protagonist antagonist relationships i've ever had was with the the late character hard frost he was the sort of head of the militia and and me and him used to have some fantastic icy conversations where he'd come up to me and be like right i'm looking for a criminal no no not you you know you're the right kind of criminal i'm looking for one who's done this this and this can you give me any recommendations <laughs> like he was playing a proper bent copper uh, and it was fantastic like, it was a really fun game but um similarly you know he knew that certain things that i wouldn't be okay with doing in game um, so I think murder, for example, very much is something that has to be a last resort, and only if there's a clear justification to do so. But yeah, crime, crime. I think I agree with you, Chris. Um, crime for me is fantastic in Empire. Adds a real kind of layer of spice. It's really interesting to kind of play out the kind of concepts of, you know, is morality more important than law? Is virtue more important than law? Uh, should the law prevail over the others? I think it's a really fascinating question and one that kind of crosscuts huge amounts of, of genres. Uh, and indeed real life. So I think it's really fun to keep it in the Empire world. Yeah, definitely. And the huge amount of people it draws in as well. It's just like the actions you're taking as a senator, your adjutant goes out, you've got a variety of people who have influence in Navarre, for example, you're, you're raising funds, you pull in all of the, the brokers, that chain gets longer and longer. And you, like you said, with the militia, it's the same. It's you've got Ben Copper and yourself, you know other criminal players. Of course, that Ben Copper will then send the real militia after them and you've then got the trial the investigation of evidence and that's great if you've got to unpick a delicate network of fences and blackmailers and confidence tricksters but when it's literally some lone character in a black cloak with a boot knife and then two knives killing the people because you know they want the 18 rings they have when they get out the gate it's it's, it's boring it's anticlimactic but um talking of you know fr i guess fraternities um and you know gangs uh, the Iron Raptors. Um, from what I understand, the Iron Raptors were a mercenary company that was around at Anvil quite a few, I say quite a few years ago. It's probably two years of game time, so four years for us, maybe five, who, yep. when I was a new player, were incredibly popular and they had a awesome rep. And frankly, if I could ever get my lot to that point, I'd be very happy. Um, I also remember you were, you were a part of that. And I wanted to ask, you know, what was that like? What did the Iron Raptors do? You mentioned that mercenary work can be very profitable. Um, yes, totally agree. It can once you know the right people. But the Iron Raptors, didn't they have a, a literal tent at the corner where, loosely where Senate would be now, but they just sat down there for fire open taking jobs. Um, what was it like being in that crew? 
It was incredible. Uh, I think Lion Raptors to me was one of the the best parts of Empire, and and you know it'd be great to see it come back, but uh, there are various reasons probably why it won't. Sadly, but basically it was a, a headquarters for anybody who needed just a little bit more money, uh, a little bit more opportunity. So it simply was a case if you know if you had a skirmish and you needed forty people and you're in Arizona and then you've got let's say twelve people who can go out on the skirmish, you need fighters and you need them quickly. So you could go to the Iron Raptors and say, look, I need a hand with this. And the Iron Raptors uh, were headed up by you know, the, the Lord Raptor himself, uh, which is played by Darren Stocker, and then Mike Light, which is kind of sergeant-at-arms, um, who were kind of their best traders and make fantastic weapons on the field. So if you ever need weapons, this is a shameless endorsement. Definitely <laughs> buy it from Light Armories or Darren Stocker. Best weapons without fail. Um, but they were really great because they were kind of always there. One of them was always there who wasn't kind of manning the stall, and they would run the Iron Raptors. And it was fantastic as a new player because you could just go straight there and be like, look, I just want to fight. And they'd be like, okay, just hang here for a few minutes. And then someone would appear normally like every, every like whenever there's a skirmish and go, look, I need people. And then normally it was the, it was the Mike Light or, or Darren. And later it became uh, Cotton, um, played by Sam Farr, or, or me, or um, Johnny uh, Johnny Vito, who, who played or played Vico at the time, uh, Bros Coast, were kind of ended up kind of being nominal sergeants. And we'd kind of take lists of names and like equipment and then, we'd have basically arranged people to go on skirmishes for other nations. And that was got quite lucrative. And it was lucrative and then you got five rings of skirmish and some of the skirmishes would just kill you immediately. So it was very <laughs> high risk for a lot of money. But it was great fun because if you're brand new to Anvil, it gave you an opportunity to just have a home that wasn't your nation. Uh, we, in later years, we kind of set up an arena so you could fight and we'd put in like little prizes from the more experienced characters who put in little prizes for the newer ones to just turn up and spar. Uh, we'd run a few games around Anvil to kind of go and go and find stuff uh, and, 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 you know, acquire items and stuff, and definitely things that were slightly disreputable as well. Um, a key point, however, with the Iron Raptors was that they also were able to generate their own plot and actually had a direct ah. line into God. So this is a key point that people don't always get with the Iron Raptors. So it worked really well. These were little skirmishes that would often be the case that the experienced members of the Iron Raptors would play the crew, and we'd use you know, a part of the woods or something that wasn't being used by the rest of PD uh, for the mainline skirmishes. And and personally, this is why I think the Iron Raptors are so great, was that while there were often a kind of, you could add mercenaries to existing skirmishes and, you know, kind of an IC mechanic, the OC mechanic was that you had an opportunity to get brand new players and brand new characters an opportunity to learn to fight on pretty low-risk skirmishes. Some of them were lethal, don't get me wrong, but in a way that didn't affect national plot, and also allowed them to gain notoriety and prowess and stuff in a quite safe way. And I think that was really useful as a mechanic because you had loads of brand new fighters, let's say, who've never really figured out how to fight together. And they have to on these Iron Raptors missions. You've suddenly got to fight with like two two Sentinels, you know, a Reaver, uh, you know, a Steiner, and three Navar, and a random Vrishkin have got to go and fight together on this Iron Raptor skirmish. So. I think it was really great. The skirmishes were always pretty small in terms of the plot. It was like, I don't know, a child has gone missing, go and find them. Or um, Lord so-and-so has hired the Iron Raptors in this particular territory to deal with the problem of some husks or whatever it was. Um, they were normally involved in a little combat, sometimes puzzle solving. But again, pretty low level. But the experienced players would quite often sub in and crew for those particular skirmishes. But it was a way of effectively bulking out the number of skirmishes for everybody on the field. And I think, for me personally, now more than ever, we need that because of the sheer number of new people arriving, which is incredible for the game, 
we are running into the issue where there just aren't physically enough skirmish slots to get everybody on them. And the other problem is a lot of skirmishes are extremely important for national plot, right? So let's mm. say skirmishes now, like if you don't do this thing, this territory falls to the Jotun or, you know, this territory gets polluted or whatever, right? And it has huge game game issues as a result. You don't really get the skirmishes which are, you know, go and acquire X item from this small castle. It doesn't change the game world. It doesn't have any huge OC or IC, you know, ramifications if you fail right your character might die but if you don't do anything it doesn't really matter yeah, it's kind of like a I think, yeah exactly so and i think i think that was that was a great shame now the reason why the iron raptors don't really exist like that in the same way was because it became very difficult for pd to run them with all these kind of minor plot things going on and secondly it was becoming very difficult to kind of consistently crew them to the high enough standard and it was effectively meaning that uh in some cases you know the, those of us doing the more kind of experienced side of the Iron Raptors were sometimes basically spending our entire weekend effectively not as our characters because we're sub-crewing in to do Iron Raptors skirmishes. Gotcha. So you kind of become like almost like a, I wouldn't say a DPC, but you're kind of half half crew and half, half playing. So there were definitely kind of trade-offs with it. Um, but I think it acted as a really good hub for people to come and learn and, and make friends with each other, fight together, train together and do these small skirmishes to develop as fighters in the LARP field. Gotcha. How do you think that would be recreated now? Because on your points, with the number of well, new players coming in, I think we, what was it, twenty? It was twenty three hundred last event without crew, and there's usually like, is it five hundred crew, or am I making that up? Uh, I think it's about three hundred. I think total. Okay, about three hundred. So we're sitting at the, you know, we're sitting at the twenty five hundred people. That is a lot of people, and from. You know, some of the wiggles that Matt P's been dropping out on Facebook, I don't think it's too far-fetched to say 3,000 is going to be the total for next event. And you're right, the number of skirmish slots, it's time, and the number of crew available. You're going to have to, even if you make your skirmishes bigger, you're still going to the same location. Um, and if you don't have enough crew, you'll have to stat up the monsters to accommodate more players. But this is um, it's actually something Matt P talks about in one of his podcast episodes, uh, the Empire ones is that you know we want to i say we sorry pd wants to create a, a heroic feeling kind of like you know lord of the rings you've got aragorn fighting 10 20 orcs it feels awesome but actually what can happen with some larps is when you're under crude you have to stack them up and what happens is this this monster starts to rip and tear you know do music blaring in the background through your through your comrades and you've got this entire house of you know 10 dornish knights getting absolutely shat up by uh, you know a pair of orcs just because they got 15 hit points because they need it to be a you know almost a equivalent challenge um so anyway you know short point is that yeah it's going to be hard to get more people on skirmishes and get those new players safe you know in in a inverted commas here safe experience how do you think that should be tackled uh, going forwards a really difficult balance to get right i mean on one hand you've got to you've got to keep the kind of experienced players interested so the kind of national plot line is important because skirmishes are kind of key one of the key mechanisms to advance the plot within the game you know you do this and you can give us an opportunity to deploy an army or you'll help deal with a insurrection or insurgency before it becomes full-blown civil war or before an army appears right so you can kind of skirmishes are really useful for that uh, but at the moment the level is very much kind of these are at least territory-wide ramifications normally if, if the skirmish does or doesn't fail or 
you know, and, and PD does a great job of kind of gradually escalating them, right? They'll start relatively small, you know, 10, 12 people will go and have a conversation with the Herald, let's say, that Eternal is pissed at the Empire. Next skirmish will be, you know, let's say that the Druze are doing a deal with this particular Eternal or whatever it is that's going on, you know, so maybe there's a bigger skirmish to go in and try and disrupt that or, you know, topple a Regio or whatever it is you're doing with it. The next skirmish after that, if you failed on that one, will be, okay, there's now a very serious amount of you know, Drew's trying to release some pretty big rituals coming down. And then at that point, if you failed that, it then has implications for, like, armies and, and, and battlefronts and that kind of stuff. So it's a really cool mechanic, and I, I really love the um, Empire way of doing skirmishes. But I'm afraid to say there's not really much you can do about it beyond have more skirmishes, so therefore you need more crew. Um, and that's personally, I'm, I'm going to shamelessly say, I think the Iron Raptors were brilliant for that, and I've certainly lobbied quite hard to sort of try and bring some degree of a mechanism back like that. There are very good reasons why I think we can. You need refs, you need a, crucially you need physically an OC space to go and fight in. You know, not just a field, you need a corner of the wood. You need some crew willing to give up their time. But I think it's an opportunity that could be explored further, potentially, uh, rather than just trying to put more and more people on skirmishes so that they effectively become mini full-scale battles. But then again, unless you're going to dramatically increase the number of crew slots, it, you see what I mean? It becomes an, existen an existential yeah. um, problem. So, I guess one is to have a different mechanism that allows smaller skirmishes to go out, like the Iron Raptors. It doesn't have to be Iron Raptors, it could be something entirely different. The other way of doing it would be to have smaller skirmishes that aren't territorial national plot. And that allows people to put newer players and newer characters into the skirmishes without quite so many um, ramifications if it goes wrong. Because... There's a huge issue at the moment where a lot of skirmishes are, if you don't get this right, this will have you know, territory-wide ramifications or empire-wide ramifications. So the problem is, is that you end up going like, okay, well, we need to send this person who's got chain, a shield, you know, ritualed up, has a, has a spear, you know, has heavy armor experience and is a known quantity, instead of someone who's brand new, who has a small buckler, a tunic, and a pair of shoes and a knife, right? <laughs> And that's really sad because a that person has equally a valid right to be there, and in some cases, many cases, will astound you by being a, probably a far more competent and better fighter, and indeed will be far more useful in skirmish. But they don't even get the opportunity because someone will go, "I need to take someone I know to deal with this problem," mm. and it's really hard to kind of balance that out. So I think just having some opportunities for for people who are new to kind of go into situations where it's still very much life and death for your character, but the ramifications aren't massive, which means you can get more people to enjoy them and have experience. You can develop your kind of leadership skills and your fighting skills. Um, and that way it doesn't, not everything has to be do or die, right? It can't just be, we need to go to this, you know, ruin to investigate it, or we need to go and retrieve this wandering wizard or whatever. Those are really fun skirmishes and are really cool. And certainly where personally I find a lot, a lot more fun to be had than the kind of, you have to go here because otherwise the Empire ends type skirmishes because they just become a bit samey after a while. Mm. There's only so many times the world can be threatened uh, before exactly. you stop caring. <laughs> like, yeah, sure, exactly. whatever. And because um, at the moment we have, um, you know, you've got the new player skirmish, which is at 4pm before time in, so two hours beforehand, which from having a brief look at it last time is now the new, you know, the new player main battle. Uh, it's it was huge. Now there's sort of like a hundred players on there. It was absolutely wild. And it'll be even bigger at the next events. You've got that skirmish, so they can have some actual combat practice. So they're not totally green once they hit the field for Saturday and Sunday battles. And you know, fundamentally, they're having fun and also 
not hurting people, uh, pulling blows, being smart. But do you think there's still more space to actually give those kind of new players a non-national linked hub to sit by? So you said the Iron Raptors would give out challenges and have little, you know, have little tournaments, I suppose. You've got the, the Dawn, the Dawnish Glory Square is, I think, pretty good for that because when I've seen, when I've walked past Dawn and seen some of their players, I'm not sure if they're new or not, but there's always fencing, there's always practice, there's always something to join in with. Uh, same with the Orc in their fighting pit, that's A, incredibly cinematic, but B, you know, really cool for players to call, gravitate to because it's, if you're there to just, I'm, you know, my name is John Smith and I'm a brand new player, I've got a sword, a buckler, a pair of boots and a particularly green tunic, you know, I'm, I'm here to fight and drink ale in the evening, you want to find those kind of fights during the day. Um, that certainly was my, you know, first event anyway. Do you reckon there would be enough space for something like the Iron Raptors to, I guess, organise intranational, uh, I guess, tournaments, skirmishes or fights or training, that kind of thing? Has that been tried before? Um... Not in the same way. I mean, there are loads of tournaments you can find around Empire. Uh, so go and find the notice boards and shamelessly kind of read some of the posters. And there'll often be people kind of awarding, you know, the best prize to the best fighter or whatever. Um, but I'm going to be quite, I'm going to be a little controversial here and say being the best person with a LARP sword doesn't necessarily make you the best useful asset on a LARP battlefield. There is no, there's nothing more powerful on a LARP battlefield than having mates with you. I'll be honest. <laughs> and an actual kind of uh, your spatial awareness is a superpower in, in LARP because yeah you might be able to kill two orcs or three orcs pretty quickly but often you will be outflanked by 50 of them and they have strike down or they have impale or whatever it is they have so that means that's the great leveler in the game you could be the best OC fighter but you will actually quite rapidly um, come unstuck without allies and people to support you so there's a whole like command and and how you work with people kind of take from from empire that i think is, is quite takes time to learn and how you how you kind of work as a team so yes there's definitely space for something like the iron raptors in the game in my opinion uh it doesn't come with the look at me on this super cool character because i'm giving stuff to the poor fighters kind of vibe as a as a poster you know but you also need a hub that actually makes sense for people to congregate at um but yeah, I mean, it's, I think there's definitely some space for something like the Iron Raptors. I was looking to kind of maybe something on the Solidarity route. You know, Solidarity is a really thing, fun thing in the game. You know, the Imperial Hospital is a fantastic example of one that has come into existence. And I think that's certainly something we can we can, we can can find, pick up and maybe run with. Yeah, definitely. Got some ideas on that. I'm going to absorb those overnight. Um, I'm on to my final bullet point now. Um, I've creatively called this last bullet point. Nailed it. Um, it's talking around creating well, uh, t two parts. What you've talked about already, which is leadership. Uh, I've got the quote here: "You must deliver." And then the other part of the bullet point is uh, making game for other players, making it fair, and sort of kind of like what we just talked about: getting new players involved in something. Um, do you want to tell me a little bit more about that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess. Uh... For me, there's always one thing I, I, I personally really dislike in, in, in LARP, but I'm sure many people listening will kind of recognize this immediately when I say, you know, you turn up in a LARP field and you've never done it before and you've no idea what the rules are, but you want to go and it's fun. And you turn up there and, and you find this sort of generally 
an older, you know, generally generally kind of uh, bearded white guy who has decided that they are holding court and that they are super powerful and that everyone must bow down and kind of, you know, worship them. And certainly a lot of different love systems I've tried personally have had that kind of pers- persona, person, you know, with character or otherwise. Is this why you go uh, clean-shaven, Dave? <laughs> no, I've got a beard these days. Uh, so clearly I'm, I'm morphing into the very thing I despise, uh, such as the great, you know, natural story arc. Um, yeah, but I, I just I just really don't like that as a as a mechanic. I think it's incredibly... It makes my skin crawl on an OC note when you've got these kind of people like, you must respect me. Well, why? Right? I mean, there's a narrative point in that, you know, maybe this person is your king or your lord or whatever in the game, and that's whatever game system you're playing, and that's because you know, that's what you've bought into in the kind of icy background. But similarly, you know, real world requires if you're going to be a big damn warrior, you actually have to deliver on it, right? So if you come up to me and be like, you know, I'm a great sol- I'm a great warrior on the battlefield or a great soldier or whatever, you kind of have to prove it at some point, right? Or have a narrative reason. We had right. this, didn't we, at the uh, last summit just before time in? Is it the uh, the hero of Brakelian walked up to us from the uh, the Ashbourne Striding next door? I think you guys formed a uh, a fighting circle around him and I. And then, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then three sword strokes later, he's disarmed and like, well, there we go. Van Chatter's oh, now the hero of Navarre, if uh, not just Brakelian. <laughs> Ah, oh, but you know, you don't you don't have quite so many uh, smutty books written about you. So Tannis is a hero because, you know, he is lusted after by everyone in the Empire. Oh, it must be nice to have people <laughs> after you. <laughs> Tannis is also the hero of the I mean you could have more than one hero at Brooklyn, but I guess it's more yeah. um but yeah, well, yeah, exactly what you mean. If you come up with all this really cool backstory in this bravado and you don't follow through, well it's uh, it's hard to follow that yeah. person i suppose yeah there's, there's, there's that but you could you know there's no reason you can't have someone who's a who's not able to physically fight who can be a great sentinel or a great warrior right and there are some phenomenal uh heroes of the empire who who don't take the field um but have incredible characters that are really able to portray the kind of warrior cast or that they they reflect on the implications of campaigns right and that's as it should be right this isn't a kind of elite you know ableism point this is more about the oc mechanics of how portrayal is done right so you know think about it if you're a if you're a, a lord you know you're a let's say you're a you're a female baron of knights right ultimately your knights are going to look to you for leadership right they're going to look for you to look after them to equip them to feed them to help them to you know drink with them when when they've lost a campaign to celebrate them in victory right but instead if all you do is order people around and scream at them because they haven't delivered for you well knights generally aren't really going to accept that and on an oc level you aren't going to accept that as a paying customer to go for that on your weekend, right? So this is where the leadership point comes in. If you want to play a big, proud hero or a really big leader in some type, you've got to rapidly realise that, well, this comes up to a much wider discussion about power, I guess, but you know, generally it's given to you, right? And therefore you have to give it back, right? This is a fundamental point about leadership is that you are very lucky if people go, I trust you and I want to follow you, but in which case you owe a duty back to that person to do something with it. Right, so if you're playing a big lord or a brand or a king or whatever, you actually have to deliver for your subject. And if you're not, that is why you've become the villain. Right? Think about it. Think of so many fantasy books where the king did not deliver and the peasants are right are starving, so they have an uprising, and therefore the king is now the villain. Right? King John, good example of that. He's vilified in history, arguably wrongly. But you know what I'm getting at here is that 
the leadership requires you to actually care about the people you're supposed to lead and deliver on, right? And I think that's a really fundamental point in, in LARP in particular, is that, you know, it's great, it's a safe setting for people to experience leadership and to command and do all that kind of fun stuff for the first time in some cases. But you rapidly realize that, particularly in Navarre, and this is one of the reasons I love Navarre so much, is that Navarre's concept of leadership is you follow people because you choose to, mm. right? And that is hugely empowering is to say, I, Riz, follow Ban, right? Because Riz trusts Ban, right? Now, you know, then there are sometimes where you would make mistakes, but that trust should hopefully be stronger than those mistakes, right? Then they are mistakes. They're not deliberate, right? And if Ban decides to, I don't know, choose a course of action that is deliberately harmful to the people he's leading, then in the VAR, those people will just leave. Yeah. And this isn't just physical actions on the field as well. This is off-field, you know, making a, let's say if you're, a political power block and one of you goes off goes awry and uh, starts to screw over everything that you've built as a group they'll be left right yeah exactly and I, and I really love the Navarre phrase actions of consequences right and everyone presumes that means like oh this person's you know on the battlefield so therefore we've lost this territory so we're gonna have to go in and kill the orcs or whatever and there's that but there's also much more subtext to it and that's what I really love so if Riz, as a senator, decides to go against the interests of the VAR, that has consequence, right? And as it should do, that's the whole point of the game, it adds conflict. Similarly, if a brand in the VAR, a leader in the VAR of a group, decides to do something that's inherently harmful to his group, then the consequences are huge, right? Now, there may be very good justifiable reasons why that brand has made that decision, you know, maybe... Maybe they have decided that they needed to do something to help save the group, but they can't tell them, or they've done something illegal because they're trying to get the money to help the group, or you know, maybe 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 she doesn't um, maybe she doesn't believe in the group anymore. Maybe she's turned into a heretic. Who knows, right? There's all sorts of narrative reasons why, but the core point there is that that's fun if it's done for a conscious choice. It's just really bad game if someone just decides, you know what, I'm just going to screw you all over because I can. That is just being a dick. Um, and then I guess this plans on to the final point I'd make it really around um, power structures in, in, in game. And certainly something I've really, I really enjoy doing is trying to broaden them out and open them up as much as possible to allow people to involve themselves with them, right? You know, it's hugely empowering to say, look, I'm really sorry, Ban, you know, I, Chris, you're a brand new character, like, I can't do X or Y, can you go and organize this skirmish and lead it, right? Or, uh, you know. Well, that actually uh, happened the... to me last event, actually. Uh, right. A couple of random Wintermark NPCs walked up to me, and all of a sudden I'm pulling 60 people through the gate. It's pretty cool. And how does that make you feel? Like a big damn hero? Yeah. Nothing to add. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I <laughs> come to Empire to be a hero, and I uh, walked on the field, and we smacked them up, got the staff. Uh, we were later informed we didn't get the right staff, but whatever. Uh, came off feeling like a big winner, and one of the thorns came like after we were walking off the field. So she ran screaming up to me like, so yeah, and just, we just both screaming at each other, did a big chest bump, never really talked much ever with this particular player, I don't know their name, I don't know their character's name, but yeah, when you, um, you, know, you get responsibility for something that goes well, it's a wonderful feeling, and then when you get responsibility and something goes wrong, it often creates even more entertaining stories, um, you know, the, uh, the infamous pie face skirmish, where I think that's Sol's you know, Sol's first event, his definitive moment at LARP was uh, that skirmish was an absolute clusterfuck. We got killed, we took something like 25% casualties fighting the Druze in the rain as a squad of 15. But um, everyone remembers that skirmish 
well because it was dramatic and interesting. Um, but yeah, each time getting the op random opportunity just to do that and lead it out, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Definitely keeps me coming back to uh, to Empire. Right, but it also has implications on a on a real life basis as well. I mean, uh, different system, but you know, I we were all playing in a different system, and there was a group of about six of us, and we were playing knights, and you know, I was playing the previous lord, and I died, and then um, one of the one of the uh, god team came up and was like, oh, you know, this fantastic lady just died as well. You know, could you do you know, do you want to like form a new group together or something? Long story short, she ended up leading the single largest faction in the in this game uh, for a while. And what was hilarious was seeing someone who had very was quite timid and quite shy, but over time, you know, a year later, was basically screaming, you know, I am, I am going to do something. And and what was really interesting was the sheer number of people who were like, yeah, we're hundred percent behind her. So this made a huge, really interesting game dynamic where someone who's come in and didn't really know anybody. And a year later, is leading like thirty people in full armor with weapons and shields and stuff. Yeah, and and there's some really vivid memories I have where she's sort of like you know being accused of treason or something, and there's thirty of us behind her all drawing swords, about to uh, about to just basically massacre this entire military council, war council as it's called in that system, purely because this was this was our this was our you know this was our commander and we answered to her and her alone. And I think that's hugely empowering, and I think LARP is a fantastic way of allowing people to develop, you know, real skills in real life, and the ability to command and to lead and, and to have respect from other people and, and so on. And it does hugely powerful things. And I think that's one of the joys of doing LARP, is, is actually giving people, you know, an opportunity and saying, like, hey, do you want to have a go at this? And they're like, well, I have no idea what this is. And I'm like, cool, well, the worst thing that happens is the game explodes, but it's a game, so, you know, go nuts. <laughs> or my character dies, but go nuts, you know? That's the great joy of it. It's, it's actually making OC fun, right? And ultimately, the IC mechanics of this and the IC characters and stuff, while they're really cool and fantastic stories, they are just stories, right? But the friendships you make along the way and the people you, you come to really, really, really know. I mean, I've made some of my, generally my bestest friends in the world are, are through LARP, and, and that comes because the stories you make together. So I think empowering other people to have an opportunity to lead, to have a hat in Empire, as it's called, is awesome, right? We need to do more of it and, and kind of break these power, you know, anybody who's power hoarding, break it open, right? And that would be the kind of final comment I'll say is if give other people an opportunity, right? Share as much as you can. Like, obviously, if you, I see, have an ambition to hold a title, cool, do it. Share it, right? Get other people involved in it. Like, delegate, give people options. Like, you want to lead a skirmish? Cool, go lead a skirmish, right? I'm general, blah, 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 go lead a skirmish. Cool, can you help me out with running these rituals? Cool, fantastic. Do you want to give the orders in? Like, let's co-write them together, right? What is your opinion on this? It's really empowering and really cool and ultimately leads to a much better game. And also, I see, uh, you know, you need a competition, but it's not virtuous to not have competition. And that's my kind of final point on that. Fantastic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, would you have any advice for... I Maybe it's your, your final close, closing statement, Senator. Uh, any advice for new players on how to tackle those kind of ambitions? Let's say I'm um, John Smith, green tunic, sword, buckler boots, all that good stuff. I would like to become a, um, well, I don't know, a Senator. Um, you know, what's your top soundbite for breaking into that kind of game? So you've done the first thing, I'll keep it super quick, but you've done the first thing. You have, you've figured out what it is you want to do with your character. So you want to be senator. Cool, right. In which case, which territory? Figure that one out. Why do you care about this territory over that territory in your, in your nation, right? 
talk to people, ask what their opinions are on that territory, figure out, do I like the cold of the far north of Akinia, or do I want to live in the sort of swamp lands of Bregesland, right, whatever nation you're in. Figure that out. Talk to people. And then if, most importantly, if you really want to be senator, go talk to that senator, right? I'm 99% certain that, var a few exceptions, none of whom I can think of an empire, if you go up to someone and say, hey, I just want to talk about what you do, and I think that was really cool what you did in the Senate on that Senate motion, the Senate gallery is free. Go and watch Senate if you want to be a senator. Have an opinion on it. Go and talk to them and say, bam, that was really cool that you put that motion in. Why did you do that? You know, why, what, how did you get funding for it? Shamelessly, just tag along with people, right? I mean, there's quite a few new characters I've taken first, all sorts of cool stuff like Gin Club and, and various other things, because <laughs> why not? Come see how the game works. Um, so yeah, I guess my final point and, and summary would be if you want to be a title, go and talk to that person with a title. They're not gods, they're humans. And if you go up and say to someone, can I have a pint with you? Can I have a cup of coffee? Can we have a chat about something? Have an opinion, and then crucially figure out if you really want that hat, how to destroy them in the election. <laughs> right? Oh, I've learned a lot from Ban, but I've also figured out they don't particularly, you know, there's slightly dodgy behavior going on, and they're a criminal. That's the position I'm going to stand on come the election. Do you want a criminal or do you want a virtuous, honorable citizen? That's my position of standing against you. Right, so you learn, learn, and then if you really want to have that title and you know that that person also wants that title, well, it's fair competition. Mm. The most exciting part of LARP, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and you, you, get, you get to develop and learn all sorts of cool, um, cool stuff along the way. But yeah, shamelessly, go and, go and talk to people. And we all start new once, right? And any new system you go to, you're completely brand new. So... Everyone's started from the same position as, you know, John, who's just got a tunic and a small sword. Everyone's been there, right? And John is equally as important to the Empire and indeed as a, you know, to PD as the 10-year veteran who's trying to vie for the throne, right? There's no reason that John can't go up and say, hey, you know, I really want to do a senator job. Cool. You'll have to figure out how you're going to do it and how you're going to head off the opposition and you're going to need to figure out how you influence people within your nation, whatever that mechanic is to become that senator. That'll take you some time. You can start working out how the plan how the plan comes together. Gotcha. So I guess as a, almost as a paraphrase, ask yourself why and ask them, or maybe ask the target, hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also like, like, just have a drink with people, right? If you don't, you know, booze, no booze, have a cookie, whatever it is. Generally, find the moment to say, so "Hey, man, cookie." Like, "Hey, I've got some cookies. Can we chat about X?" I'll be like, "Yep, you bought me. Done." 100%. The other thing is just get used to walking and talking. You know, if you want to have a hat, generally people are going to and from meetings all the time. So just figure out when those meetings are, go and watch those meetings if you're able to, and then shamelessly grab them as they're leaving the meeting on their, on their way to get a burger or back to the camp or whatever. Talk to them. Have an opinion. Gotcha. Well, brilliant. That's um, looking at the, the timing. It's not quite minutes to midnight. I'd love to make that Linkin Park reference, but uh, I don't know. In a... <laughs> In the Netherlands at the moment, that would be correct. But you know, thank you so much for your time, man. Uh, really, genuinely fascinating uh, to listen to you know, your experiences and what it's like being a, a senator in game. And for those of you listening in, uh, first of all, thanks again for paying attention. And you know, do take these kind of tips on board. They, um, I mean, they help me. I mean, Dave's talking about his best friends ever. Maybe we're not quite the besties that I dream of in my sleep, but. You know, you end up meeting people like this, and there's what, 30 of us in Black Scar extended? And that's entirely a social group that started from one day walking into Games Workshop and going, so hey, any of you lot uh, know anything about LARPing? 
and that's when uh, Stu got me in. He got me and my brother in. Um, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. And, and and now there's thirty of us, right? And we're mates. I see, I see. Like we go out, you know, we 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 meet up, we go out, we watch, you know, we do stuff together. I see, and indeed, I see, right. And that's the best thing about it, right? It's so much fun to be like, hey, I'm in London. Is anybody else around? Yeah, cool. Right, let's go do this thing. Let's go check this thing out. Right, go to a gig. Right, we're all these group of mates who've just come together because we did a lot together. Yeah, and it's just a shame we can't, you know, carry swords and wear armor in a in polite company. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Be nice, right? But thank you so much for having me on. It's been fantastic. Yeah. All right, citizens. Until next time, uh, I guess my party shot is always bring a cookie. <laughs>